On a foggy, rainy day in October 2013, the 7,465-ton ship IT Interceptor was laying fiber optic cable approximately 400 miles west of Portugal. As normal operations and procedures continued on the ship, a young steward, two months into his marine career, reported an unusually potent mixture of homesickness and seasickness to the ship's chief officer. This is Legacy Survival Stories. Legacy Survival Stories. Welcome to the show. My name is Dan Latrimoy. I'll be your host for Legacy Survival Stories. We're going to be bringing you um, a lifetime mariner, Jeffrey Douglas Waters, uh, who is a a friend of mine and uh, has been in the marine industry for 30-some years uh, and has recently transitioned uh, to the Joint Rescue Coordination Center here in Canada. His knowledge and his experience uh, speaks for itself, uh, so welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you. So uh, today, uh, as, as, as you know, we're, the premise of, uh, of our show, of our podcast, is to discuss some uh, real-life uh, emergency events and uh, try and put them in context, flesh out all the details of them, figure out what could have been done better, figure out the interesting little bits, and, uh, and then uh, and hash them out in a way that uh, hopefully will be interesting for the listener. So uh, let's start with your story. Um, you came to us with... Uh, uh, an emergency. Where were you guys at? We were working approximately 400 miles to the west of, of Portugal. We were um, we were preparing the, the seabed for an upcoming new installation of a cable, and it was going to be going from the UK all the way down to Gibraltar. Okay, so just for clarification then, was this uh, in your days with IT Telecom? This is my days with IT Telecom. Okay, so uh, for the listener then, we're talking about uh, a significantly large uh, cabling vessel uh, putting, uh, would this be fiber optic? It would have been fiber optic cable. That would have been the uh, the IT interceptor. Okay, right on. So 400 miles to the west of Portugal? So we were we were out there, we we're only going slow, we've got a, we're dragging a approximately three ton grapnel behind us and we're looking for any crossing of cables anything that's going to damage the cable that we're going to be laying with the main lay vessel one of the big alcatel vessels so Al- we alcatel alcatel lucent is the largest cable manufacturer in the world ah, okay so most of the phone lines that we're using around the world are made in calais france and our it's like a spider web on the ocean floor. So uh, I should have invested uh, in them 20 years ago? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so you're on the IET interceptor, uh, and you're uh, prepping for a cable laying? We're just going along, and with a crew of 60 to 70 people, you, you can run into some current medical situations that... Normally, you can just go and see your doctor ashore, and uh, in this case, um, well, I was the doctor. So one of the young fellows... Just just for our uh, background clarification, what are your medical credentials, uh, JD? Um, medical first responder. Um, I, at the time, I also had the two-week, which would be similar to the rescue specialist course that the Coast Guard uses. Oh, actually, that is a pretty good program. And I took the two-week course... Uh, did it right here in Halifax, and I, you're qualified to to do intravenous injections. You're you're it's called a marine medical care, 
And the MMC program, it uh, it's a fantastic program for people like myself that you're out there and we're doing transatlantic, transpacifics. Some of our crossings, like the uh, trip to American Samoa, was 29 days from Panama Canal to American Samoa. That's a, that's a, that's a long, slow trip. It's a long, slow trip. Yeah. So if you're in the middle of that and you are everything, you're the fire department, you're the, the doctor, you're the high school guidance counselor, you're just about everything. <laughs> the social worker. <laughs> the social worker. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you get guys out there for... Uh, some of these guys are three and four months. And with the COVID right now, some guys are over a year on board a boat. So you you become the social worker after a while. So two questions on that then. First of all, when approximately was this? This would have been around October 2013. 2013. Okay, so going back a little bit, but not too far. Um, and uh, when you say that... Uh, you're the isolated work group and you're your own fire department and you're your own social worker and your own psychiatrist and your own doctor. Uh, you're, of course, referring to the fact that you're in the middle of the Pacific. And, uh, in this case, we were in the middle of the Atlantic, but we, we were out there quite a ways. Uh, you, you've got to be self-sufficient. So your training kicks in you, you, and you rely on your own experience and deal with whatever the situation presents itself. Okay. The IT Interceptor, what's the size of that boat? The Interceptor is 115 meters. She was the largest uh, cabling ship in Canada. Uh, she was registered out of, out of Barbados. But it was, um, home port for us really was Halifax. Right. What's the gross ton of that thing? 7,465 tons. 7,465 tons. All right. So uh, it's not a pickup truck. It's not a pickup truck. Okay. All right. So, uh, all right. Continue on with your story, please. So the young fellow presented himself up in the wheelhouse and said he wasn't feeling good. And, well, he's mid-20s, away from home, a little bit of homesickness, a little bit of seasickness. And I think maybe you just, just go lay down for a while. So he was given the day off. So how, how long into his hitch uh, would this have been? I think he was probably about two months in. Two months. So that's two months on the boat. Two months on the boat. Any shore leave, any breaks at all, or is that just... Shore leave is usually for a few hours, and um, he was, the young fellow at that time was working in the galley, so the galley is probably the unsung heroes of the ship. <laughs> um, I've always said that if I'm on the wheelhouse and it's a rough day, as long as I hang on, I put an X on the chart every 30 minutes and hang on with my coffee, who knows if I did a good job or not. <laughs> the guys, the poor little galley slaves, I'm telling you, if they burn breakfast, everybody knows about it. <laughs> and the, the poor cooks be called a blacksmith, they'll be called every name under the sun because everybody still wants their food. Well, it's, uh, there's lots of different jobs. I mean, you got your deck crew, you got officers, you got engineers, you got your supernumeraries, you got technicians, you got carpenters, you got shopkeep. The only constant in basically all of that is everybody finds their way to the galley at some point to get a bite to eat. So Everybody finds their way to the galley, and all coffee cups will end up either in the wheelhouse or the engine control. <laughs> That's a constant. It doesn't matter. Nationality, trade, it doesn't matter. So the crew on your, uh, on your vessel at the time, on the Interceptor at the time, that would be a fairly international crew? It was the UN of cabling ships. Uh, okay. We had... Uh, we had crew from all over the world. It was, it was a fantastic experience in that respect. Excellent. And you had a real mix of cultures. You had a mix of languages. Um, 
My kids would come down and visit on the ship when the ship was in port. Unfortunately, my son can swear in four languages. Well, my wife's not so thrilled by that, but... (laughs) You were proud. (laughs) Oh, yes. No, no, no. Say that again in Spanish. (laughs) All right. So, Super International crew. All right. So, back to our our galley hand. He uh, presents himself uh, with some discomfort. He comes up with some discomfort and... Uh, to me, it kind of looked like a little bit of seasickness. Uh, so, all right, you go lay down. Just, you know, have some crackers, and you got to have a little bit of hydration. Even if you throw up, well, you got to put something back in there. So we're uh, we're trucking along, and it, it's probably 30 to 40 knots of wind, 3 to 5 meter seas. It's it's just one of those nasty, it, it looks like a beautiful day in Grand Bank. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Just another Tuesday Just in the Grand Banks. Just another Tuesday in the Grand Banks, but we're off of Portugal. And fog, drizzle, just particularly nasty. And I, I put my head down. I got back up for the change of watch at uh, 0400. Second mate's up there. I'm going to relieve him. And who comes into the wheelhouse but the uh, young steward. And I'm like, hmm, this is not going to be good. And he's holding his belly at this point. All right, let's 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 take a look. And he's got a fever. He's got uh, started uh, doing a quick examination of him I, and take a look at his belly. And I pushed in on his lower right abdomen. It's fine when I pushed in, but like when you released, that's when the pain hit. I'm like, oh no! Classic sign of appendicitis. So you're clearing, clearly thinking appendicitis. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's you're, you're you're thinking down that road at that point. So I was like, all right, you come on over here and get comfortable in the seat. I went over and I gave the old man a call. So the captain comes up to the bridge, and the captain had the exact same thing happen to him when he was a young deckhand. To, to himself? To himself. Okay. So he took one look at that, called me out in the bridge wing uh, for a management meeting over a cigarette, and uh, we got to get him off here. So we have a, a wonderful system throughout the world, uh, which I'm now a part of, uh, the rescue coordination system. And... You go on to um, sarcontacts.com, CA rather, and you can actually see all of the RCCs all around the world. Really? Say that again? What's the website? Sarcontacts.ca. Check that out. I did not know you could do that. I figured there had to be a site somewhere where you could see all the rescue centers around. But. It, uh, it It's, uh, again, I, I had none of, no knowledge of this uh, until I was actually part of this new this system. Oh, so it's a secret. It's not a secret. It's actually out there, and uh, it, it's in it's in the manuals, and it's 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 in the wall library of manuals that's on, on every boat. Yeah, which people don't realize that uh, every vessel, every platform, every facility out there has got some, you know, twenty by twenty room that's just floor to ceiling, wall to wall, stacked with every manual and textbook and nautical thing and engine room thing and radar fixing thing. It will have all your sailing directions. Now, most of the vessels in the world will will use um, British Admiralty because they do a worldwide coverage. If you're just going to be here in Canada, I, or my own sailboat, for instance, uh, I use Canadian Hydrographic Service charts. Hmm. So I've got Halifax, Bedford. Charlottetown PEI. I've got Canadian charts made by the Canadian Hydrographic Service. But if you're working internationally, the you can't go to every little country. So what you would do is you would have a world folio, which we used to have, and British Admiralty does the best job of it. Okay, right on. And you can have a book for every region 
There's one for the east coast of Canada. So I got to ask then, was there a uh, how to fix uh, a busted appendix? Is there a book on that in there? That would actually be on the hospital because we had a three-bedroom hospital on board the vessel. Oh, that's good for uh, for a vessel. That's impressive facilities. Uh, it's, it's international standard. Really? You can, um, because we, our vessel was registered in Barbados, we had, we call ourselves British Light. So we would go by the marine guidance notices. So, for instance, uh, on our vessel, the MSN 1768 is a marine safety notice that's promulgated by... Uh, Trinity House, and they would say, if you have this many crew, this is the medical scales you have to have on board. In our case, we were more than 40 people, so we had medical scales for in excess of 40 people. When does it get to like a, a full-scale nurse or a paramedic? After 100. After 100. After 100. Okay. Now, in a change that will be coming here to Canada is the, uh, the MMC, which I had at the time, uh, in Europe. That's your marine medical care, the one you were... Okay. Correct. Yep. Um, from my license here in Canada, my, my master home trade chief officer for ongoing, I have to maintain my medical first, uh, the marine advanced first aid. It's a five-day course here. Right. In Europe, for my comparable license, I would have to have the MMC. So chief officers and masters and possibly even chief engineers and second engineers, they have to have the two-week course. All right. So in the circumstances that you're in off Portugal in, this, in, the, in the setting we're referring to, it's you? It's me. Okay. All right. So you've had your or you're having your, uh, your, your cigarette management discussion, uh, uh, sorry, discussion uh, with, uh, with the, old, the old man, the master of the vessel. Right. And you guys decide you've got to get him out of there. So at that point, second mate is still up. Normally, your second officer is your medical officer. I was fortunate enough that uh, the second mate was an old friend of mine, and he was a rescue specialist when he was in the Coast Guard. Okay, so, so had I had talent. Experience. I had some talent on board, which um, came very fruitful for me later on. Um, so what we did is we changed over the watch. I took the, the con of the vessel. The captain stayed up and around so he could see the big picture. And uh, I called the cadet up. It was uh, Battlefield Promotion. All right. <laughs> Congratulations. You're driving. Um, you tell me what you're going to do before you do anything. And the next thing I had to do, I just stop, take a deep breath, pick up the radio, and uh, made the phone call to Rescue Coordination Center Lisboa, which is uh, every country will have their own Rescue Coordination Center. Here in Canada, we're such a large country, we actually have three. We have one here in Halifax, where I work. Mm -hmm. We have one in Trenton, and then we have one out in Victoria, mm -hmm. which spans right across the country. Most countries are smaller, so Portugal, you have Lisboa. We do have a, a fair bit of square footage uh, in, our, in our region. We do, and in fact, my center is so large, we have two daughter stations as well. We have one in Quebec City. And we also have one in St. John's, Newfoundland. I knew there was one in St. John's. I did not realize there was one in Quebec City as well. Yeah. yeah so that would be St. Lawrence coverage. and St. Lawrence coverage, and they'll do a lot of uh, the south shore of, of Quebec. Okay. So if you're up around Harve Saint-Pierre or the Anacostia Island, and they'll come down to about Gaspé, and then around Shippigan, that's where we take over. Gotcha. So you're talking to then uh, Lisboa? Lisboa. RCC Lisboa? Lisboa. Um, the pronunciation, the anglicized is Lisbon, 
but uh, the proper pronunciation of the, the city is Lisboa. I thought you didn't speak Portuguese. That's as far as I can uh, speak. Uh, that, that and a couple of cuss <laughs> that, words. That and a couple of cuss words, and uh, I can order a beer or two. Okay, there you go. I contacted them, and with the uh, the RCC, what we have is we can we can request medical. And back in the old days, where you had your um, your list of signals, the International Code of Signals, you could actually go into it, and you could go, you could just say on the radio, medical. And another country would, uh, you have to do, you're, you're looking for a doctor. I parallel park boats for a living. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. I can put band-aids on and I can do <laughs> minimal and I can, you know, pick up scratch knees and whatnot. And, uh, but I'm not a medical doctor. I can see what I, what's presented to me, but I, I'm, that's not my forte. So what a mariner can, like, such as myself can do is I can contact the RCC here in Halifax, uh, I can patch a doctor through directly to the master of the vessel or the, the medical person on board the vessel. And the doctor can ask the questions. Okay, so have, basically the RCC Lisboa or RCC Halifax, wherever, exactly. can become sort of a um, connection point. But They're a middleman, yeah. Bring in a doctor and, okay, you get on the horn with this person out there on a boat. They got an issue that needs... Correct. Okay, excellent. All right, so this is what RCC Lisboa does? That's what Lisboa does. And what we did is we, we contacted them and they put a doctor through, a patch through, and okay, here's his vitals. Here's what's uh, been presented to us and palpated uh, his, his lower right abdomen. And yeah, it sounded like a appendix. Fever, um, he's, he's, going, he's got it bad. So uh, a medevac is recommended. Uh, we have to get him off as fast as we can. Uh, we've got gear in the water. We start, uh, I call the bosun out on deck, and we start recovering the gear off the, the seabed. And once that's that's done... So can you can you sort of emergency disconnect, or do you basically have to haul some gear back on? We have to haul gear back on board. If I absolutely had to, I can I can take a, the acetylene, or I can... Oh, so it's literally like you like physically go out and cut it. There's cut. not like an emergency shear or something. You have not to physically... Case hatchet that thing apart kind of thing yeah. in this this circumstance we were able to recover the gear off the bottom because we were just driving in a grapnel uh just put yourself head to wind cut control of the vessel and recover everything back on board gotcha but it's still 30 knots of wind and it's drizzle and the helicopters have to be within 200 miles ashore and that's just a straight range of that's they can only go so far range. without that's taking it. on fuel that's it and even the the rules are that uh, if even if you had to do max fuel, you could land on a on a oil platform, for instance, or or something. Uh, if you're going out to get somebody, but you can't plan to hit that oil platform on the way back. The whole idea is what happens if there's a problem at the oil platform or the visibility you can't get in there, and now you're running low on on petrol on the way back to shore. So the rules are. You can do a hop on on the way out, but you have to be able to, when you get to the hoisting, it has to be a straight shot back to land. Okay. Uh, that's just, uh, that's a safety thing for everyone. No, it makes sense. Uh, if you're a helicopter and you suddenly can't land on the thing you're aiming for, well, <laughs> there's nothing around you but Pacific Ocean or Atlantic Ocean. No. That's, uh, it's uh, not a great set of circumstances. It's a, it's a little unnerving. I know the first time I was in a helicopter, I was actually flying out to uh, join a vessel down in the Gulf of Mexico. And like you're looking down, and you can see the sharks. Uh, it's like, uh, 
Um, things are different now. I'm uh, having just, to having, remember the rule, though. You don't have to swim faster than the sharks. Just, just faster than your buddy beside you. Just, exactly. just one other person. <laughs> uh, back in the old days, um, I mean, I didn't have the training that I have now with my Hewitt training, and um, you didn't have the the knowledge of how, well. How would I get out of this helicopter if it's in the water? Well, back in the old days, you've watched a wore out VHS tape and. Somebody hands you a May West vest and said, your bird's out there on the platform. Off you go. Off you go. If I knew then, what I know now? Yeah. <laughs> um, so they couldn't get a helicopter out to us. So the option was get closer. So you were 400 miles. Max range is 200 miles. So I got to head towards land. So what's top speed of the interceptor at the time? We put the third engine on line that night. Uh, normally we'd run with two engines. Uh, she was a diesel electric, so we, we ran the, uh, called the chief engineer. I, I had everybody out of the bunk at one point. And uh, chief, I need, I need more spot. I, I got to get in. Did you, please tell me you said it. Please tell me you said, I need more power. I need more power. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a need for speed. <laughs> Uh, we, we got all three main engines online and diesel electric, uh, the chief engineer stayed and babysat his engines all night long. And, uh, I spent a long time in the wheelhouse. The captain was up and around and the cadet was loving it. He was driving. Uh, he was his time so to, his time battlefield, to battlefield promotion suddenly turned into probably the fastest the ship has ever gone. <laughs> uh, it, it was the fastest I have ever pushed that poor old girl, but it was, uh, it was necessary because there was no, he was, he was circling the drain. He really was. So um, what, how, how fast did you end up getting it up to? Got her up to about 16, 16.5. 16.5 knots. So uh, to the layman out there, that's probably about 25, 26 kilometers an hour or somewhere yeah, about there. that. Somewhere around there. So it's not, doesn't sound fast uh, to uh, a person off the street, but when you've got, you know, 7,500 tons of steel blasting through, you know, seven meter waves. I could drive it through a school zone here in Canada and I would never exceed the speed limit. <laughs> for us, that, uh, that, that was, that was moving. That was moving for her. All right. So how long did it take you to get back in the... We were almost 24 hours, uh, going straight. That's just full, just blast, full blast, hammer all the way hammer down. down. Um, engineer sweating the whole time. Chief engineer sweating the whole time. Yeah. Um, she had big salsar engines in her, and she, uh, she, she, was, she was still probably one of my favorite ships. She handled really well. Um, but we, we were running as fast as we could, and we were on a, a communication schedule, a comm sched with Lisboa, so every two hours we called, and we would uh, give the vitals to the, to the RCC, and... That would be passed along to the doctor for us on our behalf. So, uh, and what were the vitals looking like? Was it a deteriorating situation? He was deteriorating, and he was going. He, he was going fast. So, for 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 people that, and I'll count myself here, that I've, I've done all kinds of first aid training, but I've never had to do anything with an appendix. So, what happens there? Like your appendix pops, it goes to crap. It, it, it burst. Um, where he wasn't feeling well, he was, uh, his poison was leaking out. Okay, him. so the, whatever's inside the appendix is not meant to be mixing with the rest no, of the stuff? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, I've done, I've uh, done three medevacs off of our vessels. Um, related over, to appendix? Related to appendix. You're, you're bad luck. I am bad I'm luck. start checking my abdomen <laughs> now. <laughs> um, 
So you're watching this guy, you're you're banging away 24 hours straight, hauling hauling ass as fast as as the boat will go, and watching this guy's vital. So like, is he still conscious? Is he still with it? Or he slipped you... into unconsciousness on us. Oh, I was getting updates from wow. the hospital. Uh, as the poison was going into him, it's uh, called going septic. Mm. So he was going jaundice color and. Uh, uh, being Filipino as well, he was already of a darker complexion, but he was getting very, very yellowy, uh, very, very hot and sweaty, and his 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 pulse was rapid and breathing was 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 wonky. He was going into shock as well. What were you guys doing, uh, sort of treating for shock, trying to keep him comfortable? Did you put him on like O2? We put, we put him on oxygen. Yeah, I just put it on low. Uh, his his body was in distress, so it's like okay, we put it on low. Um, we, we had the, the mask on him. We didn't have the cannulas on him. We just had the, the non-rebreather on him and just oxygen on low. And that seemed to help him for a bit. When he slipped into unconsciousness, the, the next thing was he kept trying to knock it off of him. Really? So he's lying there unconscious? And, and still, yeah, he, he would try and knock the mask off his face. So. To, to be fair, I have one of those stupid CPAP machines, and I constantly yeah. trying to tear that thing off it's no fun trying to sleep with an octopus stuck to your face but. I, I've, I've heard that um <laughs> i got another story about octopus some other time for all me. right we'll back burner that one for that now. one yeah um so yeah we ended up having to tie his hands down really yeah we had ties down. so just... this poor unconscious oh yeah kid who's on like his first or second hitch out there he's in there for two months and you're tying him down so it's <laughs> like so hands tied so he wouldn't <laughs> Uh, we didn't have him tied down, but we had his hands tied, so he, he couldn't knock the oxygen mask off. We got uh, we got running along, and then uh, the next problem that presented us: uh, the weather is still crap, and all the because of the way that the the weather patterns go, everything boils up right down by Portugal. There, it's one of the worst anchorages that I've ever been in. So if I'm uh, we're looking at sort of a, a you know Google Earth uh, map of Portugal there and coast of it running more or less north south. When you have weather building up across uh, like in Halifax Harbor here, it's a small little harbor, so you don't get the fetch. Here you're getting weather, you're getting the the swells. You're coming all the way from Florida. Right, so it's, it's coming right across. All the way across. Oh boy! Yeah. Uh, I spent nights in the anchorage there. I thought we were going to snap an anchor chain. Just sitting in anchor. Just sitting in anchor. You're rolling that hard. See, this is why they. This is why. This is why people don't own boats because you just sit there and worry about what's going to happen. Even when you're not on the boat, even when you're not doing anything, if it's bad weather out there, what's happening with my boat? What's now, happening with my boat? All I could think of is, you know, as we're rolling there, I'm I'm laying in my bunk one night uh, in the anchorage. We were doing a project uh, going down to Gibraltar, and as I'm laying there in my bunk, all I could think of is that picture of uh, Bedford Basin Yacht Club pile up after hurricane one at the oh. bottom of uh sackville river yeah you know that's that's where i keep my boat is and um i i was sure we were going to shear off an anchor chain that night good heavens um so we we started going across and there's a lot of traffic that goes up and down that area so all the traffic leaving northern europe anything heading to south america or into the mediterranean or anything that's headed for the suez canal goes past Portugal. So there's large traffic lanes, very similar to here off of Halifax. We've got... Uh, Except probably with a bit more volume, a bit more volume of traffic. A bit more volume and uh, much larger. So you're, you're dealing with uh, 
large vessels like the uh, Maersk has the, the triple E class, like the Emma Maersk. Those big, giant, the whatever they call them, Panama, Panama class. And post Panama. Panama. Okay. They will not fit through the Panama. Even the new Panama Canal, they won't fit through those. Wow. So you're talking stuff that's uh, almost 1,000 feet long. So there you are in your 115 meter, call that 350 feet vessel, and you're feeling pretty small. Pretty small. Um, same as here in Halifax. Uh, Halifax traffic, uh, in the inner harbor, uh, they monitor channel 12. The outer harbor outside of Duncan's Reef, they monitor channel 14. So you have the two areas, two zones, if you will. But you're talking about in, in Portugal in, now? In Portugal, they have uh, sim- something similar to us here in Halifax. And uh, Lis- Lisbon traffic called me. And they, they didn't know what's going on. Uh, all they saw, I'm crossing the traffic lanes and I'm not allowed to. So they had not been notified by? Two different entities. Okay. So they're, I mean, here, Halifax traffic and RCC, I would expect there to be because. There's still uh, communication back and forth. I'm yeah. separate. But we, we talk to each other on a regular basis and we give each other heads up. And I'll call. Oh, but it's informal. No, it, it would be formal uh, if, if something was coming in. Okay. If there was a vessel that was, was in trouble, uh, normally I would call Halifax Traffic and I would tell them. Yes, yeah, give them the heads up. Okay, but that didn't happen for you? Not that night. Okay. Not that night. And again, it was just one of those uh, things were going sideways. Uh, Lisbon Lisbo Traffic called me and um, they were doing the right thing. They saw something that was I was interfering with their Yeah, here comes vessels. this other vessel yeah, screaming yeah. across the traffic lane. Who's this Yahoo? Um, so I, I got on the radio. I, I had, uh, the cadet still driving and I'm like, just you do your thing. I, I had extra lookouts up in the wheelhouse and cause I'm barreling through in bad weather. And I had two radios on like that and I had, uh, Lisboa traffic. And I just said, uh, I've been in contact with, uh, RCC Lisboa and I've been, uh, ordered as fast, fast as possible for, uh, for, for Lisbon. And uh, Cascades is just outside of uh, of Lisbon, and right around uh, just to the north of the anchors there. So there's a little uh, little place, and they they said, "Well, we'll call uh, RCC Lisboa." And next thing I heard was uh, IT interceptor. This is the uh, uh, Lisbon traffic. Make make best speed for uh, Cascades. We will have everything arranged for you. So Next thing fin- I, finally, a little bit of good news. Sounds it was, like it was good news. Um, they uh, they they did an amazing job for us. All the stars all of a sudden lined up, and they were calling all the other vessels. I have a medical on board this vessel. Please avoid. Oh, how about that? So um, once once everybody was in the loop, it was, it was just everybody was was taken out of our way, and it uh, yeah, I, I kind of kind of felt a little privileged. So all of a sudden, I've got these big triple E container ships, uh, super tankers going around me. Um, they they all avoided us. Uh, it's just a professional courtesy we all do for each other. Sure, but what a great what a great job by the by the the traffic centers in in Lisbon to like okay let's take care of this let's help yeah. these guys out they got a serious situation here so they just left us to do what we needed to do and they they called everybody else and like you know they they were a great asset we still had to do our collision avoidance and we had to maintain good watch and whatnot well, i expect nothing less from a canadian yeah, train mariner absolutely um 
anyways, they, uh, they, they, everybody just went around us. We were watching them on radar, and you could see when we got into about a 10-mile, and they altered. And So are you all the way back getting close, like, into... We're getting close in at that point. So um, I'm, I'm, where I'm going with this is, so you had been aiming for the 200-mile mark. The weather never improved. Ah, so they couldn't fly because of the weather. Couldn't fly because of the weather. So you, at some point, you were along there, you're chugging along, you hit that 200-mile mark, and you're like, okay, finally we made it, and then... Want, 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 no can do. No can do, and that was part of the whole comms cut because we were in constant communication with our CC Lisboa. So every two hours, give a quick update, give our position, our speed, continue our ETA for Cascade, and, uh, which is outside of Lisboa there, and give me a weather op. Well, it's, it's crap. It's, <laughs> it's a beautiful day on the Grand Banks. <laughs> And even when we got it within range, we just kept looking at it. Okay, well, the next two-hour notice, the next two-hour notice. And then I was like, yeah, this is just not going to happen because the diminishing returns, well, how fast can the boat get in as opposed to... Yeah, and at some point, it's not, it doesn't, it's not safer and better to use the helicopter no, if it's only... Yeah. No, you're, you're, putting, uh, you're putting those other guys at risk. Uh, so you, it's just a diminishing returns at that point. It's okay, well... Do we send the, the chopper up there and we save 20 minutes? So you've been blasting full steam, flat tack, all engines maxed out for 24 hours to get to the 200-mile mark. The weather sucks. Well, we actually, the, the, two, the 24 hours got us right into Lisbon. Uh, okay, yeah, we, so we you, passed. We, we blew right through it. Uh, okay. We got to the 200-mile limit. Sorry, we can't do anything. All right, we'll just keep coming. So every two hours, give a, a, a check-in, a comm sked, and here's our position, here's our speed weather no, 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 not today all right so now so now you've crossed through the traffic you've got the the excellent help from the from the traffic services in lisbon uh they've directed everybody else to kind of steer clear let you guys do your thing so yep. now you're coming screaming into we're coming in hot and heavy we're going uh we're coming up to the anchorage and uh we're all up on the bridge at that point um the young fella at this point he's he's unconscious the uh the second mate and the third mate and the bosun, uh, we had a real, real cagey bosun. And we ended when you up, say cagey, do you mean like in the wise veteran savvy or the salty, unpleasant sort of cagey? Yes. <laughs> 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 Bosuns have to be that way. They, they don't get put. They, it's part of the checklist. <laughs> okay, copy that. Uh, he could do rope work that was just absolutely phenomenal. And he made a bridle and whatnot, and we rigged stuff up, and he got uh, all hands up on the the upper deck, and we ended up rigging up block and tackles. Um, I just told him what I wanted, and he's like, okay, chief. That's all I had to worry about was he said, okay, chief. Uh, I stayed up in the wheelhouse, and he did his thing. He had a block and tackle rigged up. The only way to get him off the boat, because they were going to send a cutter out to us. So, okay, so at this point... The helicopter is not in play anymore. No it's not an option. option. So now they're going to send a smaller boat out to you, and now you've got to transfer what functionally is a unconscious, an unconscious person. So you put him in a stretcher, presumably. We had we had the Stokes litter basket, uh, the wire cage, and we uh, had a couple of floats on either side in case he didn't make it onto the boat. Um, but we we had that ready to go. We had him in there. We had the oxygen tied down by his legs. Um, what are you using to get it over the side? Do you guys have a crane boom or something on board? 
That's where the deckhands came in on the KG boats. Okay, here's where your nifty KG boat work goes, or your rope work. All right, okay. So we had block and tackles rigged up on the deck above the uh, the the gangway, the the pilot door. It's the side, the door on the side of the ship that the you put your gangway to come on and off. So again, for frame of reference here, the 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 side of ship, the freeboard of the interceptor would be, and I've seen it, but uh, if I'm going back, you got to be fifty feet. You're you're about fifty feet, yeah. Okay, so that's if if a person's looking at the ship, when you look up the side of the ship to where sort of you can see a person, and it's not just the hull of the ship anymore. You're talking fifty feet ish. So this cutter's going to come out to you, and a cutter, and I'm picturing something similar to say the Sambro type, little smaller than the Sambro, somewhere between the Zodiac and the Sambro. So a big some, Zodiac. A, like it would be like a big Zodiac. Okay, so you're talking like a thirty thirty five foot. Yeah. Powerboat type yeah. thing. Okay. And now you got, which would have a freeboard of, Next of to three nothing. feet. Exactly. <laughs> so now you got to get your unconscious person in your Stokes litter without a crane um, down about 30 to 30 foot. Well, no, I guess it would be more like 40 to 45 feet. Uh, with the door on the side there, we, we put them out through there on purpose because it was less. So okay. you're, you're probably 25 to 30 feet. Okay. Well, that's still farther than I like to fall. Exactly. It's kind of like the old joke, don't approach a dock any faster you want to hit it. Well, don't go up any higher than you want to fall. <laughs> then you're prepared to fall back down. Yeah, I don't like heights. No. So what we ended up doing is um, we were just, we, we got them as ready as best we could. We got the block and tackle ready. We got everybody up top that was ready to manhandle the rope. And uh, we had the door open. We had the, the line in. So this just, door, you're talking about the door that a lot of people who are sort of not savvy with boats wouldn't realize that somewhere in the side of the ship, right smack in the middle of the hull, there's a door that opens. Uh, and so you're working outside this door. And this is just a, a door that opens to nowhere. If you stepped out this door, you're just straight you're down swimming. the drink. Yeah. All right. And now you've got this boat beneath you, this this. What what happened was uh, we were screaming in, and all of a sudden we came through the fog, and it was just like coming through a wall. Some similar to coming in at Halifax. Sometimes you you're in total fog. You come through Majors Beach. As soon as you get through Majors Beach, it's a beautiful summer day here in Halifax. Yeah, seen, there's some weird fog in this. Harbor. There is some weird. Well, there's other places. Uh, Lisbon's another one like that. So all of a sudden we came through the fog, and I reached over and grabbed both sticks to uh, for the two engines and. Pulled them back. Finally haul her back. Hauled her back uh, to the relief of the chief engineer. And <laughs> He finally breathed after 24 really hours. Breathed, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just as I'm hauling back on the engines, uh, Lisbon Traffic calls me and says, uh, there is a, there's a rescue craft on your starboard quarter. I ran into the starboard bridge wing, and sure enough, he's pacing right along, textbook perfect, right by my starboard quarter. So what we did is uh, we, we communicated with him. His, his English was a little broken, um, but he was able to understand us well enough, and uh, he came up alongside. We picked the young fellow up, put him out through, and lowered him down, had a couple of tag lines so he didn't spin. So I'm trying to picture this. I'm trying to picture you got a couple people with the lines right outside the door, and then probably up on deck, you've got your, your ten block and guys, t- ten guys on a block and tackle. So all basically supporting this, just this, taking the weight, this poor unconscious appendix victim. And we we lifted him up. Uh, the bosun just uh, he he choreographed it, and we stood back and uh, we lifted him up. We put him out through. 
turned them and then they had the weight and once the rescue craft came directly underneath we lowered down so you're lowering this guy down a ship on the move you're probably i'm guessing in six to eight knot range uh, i think it was five knots he asked me to go so okay. you know you're checked back similar to to a pilotage right right, right. um you don't want to be stopped no um, no, you, people People always wonder that. Why don't you just stop the boats? Because two no. boats together in the water, they don't act like one boat. But if you can get them to go together at the same speed, they start to do the same thing. So they, they did the classic. Uh, they came in, put their shoulder on to, uh, to the side of my hull and just sort of came off a couple of degrees. So he's pinned alongside. So he's stable. We lowered him down. We put him on top of their wheelhouse. They put two straps across him to secure him there in the basket, undid the hook, gave a wave came up on their throttles and headed off into uh, in a cascade. The proverbial sunset. Into the proverbial sunset. Um, one of the things you have to consider is you are entering a foreign country. So it's not like when you arrive in Halifax Airport when there's immigration there. Well, you have to send them off and you're dealing with, uh, for your legalities, you have to have the ship's agent involved. So we contacted uh, our agent in Lisbon and said, hi, we have a problem. We got to come in. <laughs> we can, we, Houston, we a have doozy. a problem. <laughs> this is a good one. Um, so what you do in a situation like that, you you get the guy's uh, effects together. Um, in these days, you'll you'll throw his cell phone, his passport, uh, his patient care records. Uh, so what do we do before he's presented to the, the medical authorities ashore? You put that in. Sometimes you can throw a few dollars in there. Just um, Help you, the guy out. Are you being serious? I'm serious. Oh, this is for him? For him. Okay, so that, uh, like, you know, fingers crossed, he comes through all this. Like, he's got he's got 100 bucks to get a cab kind of thing or get a bike to eat? Yeah. Yeah, a little, little bit of something, because otherwise you're in a foreign country and you got nothing. Yeah, some some international worker. You said he was a Filipino? He was Filipino. So Filipino, you know, poor first, second trip out there, and he uh, suddenly goes unconscious on a ship. Next thing he wakes up in a hospital in Lisbon. I, I've, I've done, yeah, I've done worse, but uh, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> that's a story not for the air. <laughs> yeah, we'll catch that one yeah, after. That, 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 yeah, definitely. Um, but what you have to do is the, the formalities are you have to have, have a passport so you put all that normally what i've done in the past i put that in a ziploc bag in case the individual ends up in the water even just sprayed if water comes up and, and spray from an frc or whatnot you put all that that information in there with the person inside of their life jacket inside of their coveralls whatnot so it doesn't get lost or flum, dropped in the water mm -hmm. and the agent will take care of that individual when they get to shore so he will make sure that there's an RCC Lisboa would make sure that there's a ambulance waiting at the dock and the agent would make sure that he is taken care of from when he arrives on the dock. He's, he's, our, he's working on our behalf and he would take the, uh, the seafarer up to the hospital and within an hour, hour and a half, he was under the knife and they saved his life. He's still actually working for them. No kidding. No kidding. So every not, now not scarred forever and put off the sea life. No, no, he uh, um, he he took that as a sign. Like, okay, well, you know, maybe this is what I should do. Everybody's gonna we we all we all helped him out. Uh, he did return back to the vessel a couple of days later, and uh, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't fly. We ended up going into Lisbon, and we were uh, 
we were there for a few days. So we, we brought him on board with us. And it's like, all right, you're going to go lay down. You can't fly. You can't lift anything. You can't take your gear. You can't, you can't do anything. You just take your time. And we took him up for his outpatient visit and whatnot, his follow-up, and brought him back to the boat. And we all took turns. I mean, I was helping clean. I started as a steward in the galley back in the, the late 80s. So I grabbed him up and broom, and we were all helping our buddy out. Sort of covering off his covering, covering off, off his the duties because, yeah. uh, as I said, you know the, the galley slaves they don't get a break. No, and and the when you're on, people forget this too. It's not going to sea is not like sort of a a nine to five type job. When you go out there, like these people are around you all the time, all the all the time. Like there's nowhere to go. There's, you can't just uh, you know what I'm gonna you know screw off and go to a movie tonight. Like you, everybody is on that boat together. So there's a certain amount of. And, you know, you don't like everybody either. So it's a lot like family. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. Um, my, my grandfather was a, was a sea captain. And uh, some of the sage advice that he gave me over the years, uh, one was that uh, you're going to make friends very quickly on a boat. You're going to make enemies even faster. <laughs> Good tip. <laughs> uh, truer words were never spoken. So, yeah, if you get in, into a disagreement, uh, back when I was on tugboats and whatnot, if you got into a disagreement with your roommate at, uh, you know, as you're getting up, going on watch, you go out and work together, you've had breakfast together, you have lunch together, and then, you know, after supper you clean up together and you're still kind of salty with each other. Well, guess what? You're watching a movie together. <laughs> <laughs> you learn to get along with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of this all, how, do you, how long does the Interceptor end up staying? So the vessel you're on, how long does it end up staying in Lisbon? How long are you there? We were probably four or five days while we were in Lisbon. Okay. We were in there and we, did, uh, we took an opportunity to do a crew change and we were able to get our seafarer back with us. Um, Lisbon was really cool. It was uh, my first time to Lisbon. Uh, I got to, as a navigator, I actually got to see the uh, tomb of Vasco da Gama. Um, some, some aspects of, of this job is kind of cool. Well, yeah, you end up with this sort of, uh, I won't call it a vacation, but forced downtime? Um, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. So you know, once uh, once you got all your work and whatnot done, and we would take rotate out, and uh, I got to visit a little bit of the city. Um, parts of the job that I've had for I, I sailed for thirty one years. Uh, I've gotten to see some really cool places. Uh, one of the I I missed it, but uh, the crew opposite, they're actually they were in Jerusalem, but they were in uh, Haifa, Israel, on Christmas Eve. And wow. the boys went to Jerusalem on Christmas Eve. Wow. Um, been to some other places. Uh, I was in uh, uh, North Africa. Uh, North Africa during Ramadan. That was another interesting experience. Oh, imagine. I imagine it'd be amazing. Uh, walking around with uh, some of the guys brought uh, fresh dates on board the boat. and. You know, so everybody had to go to the bathroom a lot. Uh, Not long. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you had to go to the bathroom in shifts or what? No, that was that was Brazil <laughs> after eating the iguana. Okay, well, we have reached the end of the proverbial journey uh, that uh, Jeff has taken us on. So we started off 400 miles off Portugal uh, with a homesick, possibly seasick, uh, relatively new uh, worker who. 
24-ish hours later, was having his life saved uh, in uh, Lisbon uh, after uh, what sounds like a, an incredibly intense ordeal. <laughs> Redlined engines, um, helicopter attempts, and uh, vessel transfers, and block and tackle with a with a cat with an unconscious person over the side. Just you, you never know when you, when the phone rings when you're in your your day room. You just never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Okay, well, uh, we'll wrap it up there, and uh, I will say thank you very much, uh, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to call you JD because I can't do it any other way, <laughs> and uh, we're definitely going to have you back on the show because uh, it's not hard to tell. There's a bunch of stories buried under the under the under some the cage. Some I can tell, some I can't. <laughs> well, that's fine. We'll get to all that. So, thanks very much, Jeff, for joining thanks us for having me, and uh, we'll uh, see you again soon. All right, thanks. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and help us move up the charts with a five-star rating. We like comments and reviews, so we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and almost anywhere you can find podcasts. If you've got an interesting story, or think you know someone who'd make a great guest on the show, please reach out to us at LegacySurvivalStories, all one word, at gmail.com. You can also find us at Legacy Survival Stories. Buzzsprout. Com. Can you go down? Are you go down. Go down. Hey, 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 hey. Legacy Survival Stories.